Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio Ajamu Baraka. Ajamu Baraka is national organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace. He's a human rights defender whose experience spans four decades of domestic and international education and activism. He's provided human rights trainings for activists across the country, briefings on human rights to the U.S. Congress, and appeared before and provided statements to various U.N. agencies. Baraka was the founding executive director of the U.S. Human Rights Network, He held various leadership positions at Amnesty International USA, including directing the program to abolish the death penalty. He's served on the boards of the Center for Constitutional Rights, Africa Action, the Mississippi Workers Center for Human Rights. He's taught political science at universities and been a guest lecturer in the U.S. and abroad. He's an editor and columnist at Black Agenda Report and at Counterpunch. He ran for vice president on the Green Party ticket, and he and I both spoke at a recent conference of the United National Anti-War Coalition. Ajamu Baraka, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, it is a pleasure and really an honor to be with you on on this program. Uh, It's wonderful to have you on and to see the work that you're doing with the Black Alliance for Peace. People can check it out at blackallianceforpeace.com. You start out there saying the Black Alliance for Peace seeks to recapture and redevelop the historic anti-war, anti-imperialist, and pro-peace positions of the radical black movement. Do you want to talk about that and the origins for this uh, for this new alliance? Well, you know, that I think that comment kind of captures what we are trying to do, that if you look at the, the sectors of the population that have been the most consistently anti-war, uh, you have to kind of identify the black population as, as really the, one of the most consistent. Um, black folks have always had a, a deep uh, a suspicion, if you will, uh, at minimum questioning attitude when it came to U.S. Uh, foreign policies. Um, because of our experiences in this country, we've always had a, a, a deep uh, opposition to uh, militarism. Uh, we've always had a very pro-peace uh, component of our, of our culture because of our, our religious and spiritual uh, orientations. Uh, and so... You know, all that adds up to uh, a population that has been um, in the forefront of advocating for for peace, uh, for social justice, uh, and for being uh, opposed to to all forms of of war. So that is a a sentiment that's been predominant in our community and has been, uh, I think, a very important part of what we call uh, the black radical tradition, having a pro-peace anti-war, anti-imperialist position uh, that we are seeking to try to recapture. Uh, we know that uh, this is a, uh, a moment to, in fact, do that because of the, uh, the fact that people are now thinking again critically. Uh, we know that in the black community there was a slight shift to the right uh, as a consequence of the policies uh, and uh, legitimization of those policies of state policies by the Obama administration that move uh, black opinion somewhat to the right, but that now, uh, with the ascendancy of, of Donald Trump, uh, people are sort of coming out of this kind of fog of confusion and and uh, and, re- and thinking again. So we think this is the, the the right moment to revive that traditional position uh, and to 
to to uh, reaffirm that position, but to also contextualize, uh, ground this effort in the need for rebuilding the broader anti-war, uh, anti-imperialist movement here in the U.S. Yeah, as we're recording this on Monday, the the U.S. Conference of Mayors has just passed resolutions uh, following the lead of several cities uh, saying to Congress, move the money out of the military into human and environmental needs, the opposite of, of what Trump has proposed. So there seems to be some openness to that position at the at the local level, uh, and the the Black Lives Matter movement seems to be uh, seems to have a great policy position on on war. Um, how do how do we connect you know local activism with with international activism? Well, we have to connect it by connecting by by helping people to understand the 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 absolute uh, inability to disconnect those two uh, levels of activism uh, and concern, that you can't be concerned about the local uh, conditions, uh, state services, um, uh, state investment, uh, and the support of people, um, and that understanding how that is impacted by decisions being made on the national or federal level. And that when you have decisions being made on the national level in which resources are shifted away from addressing the basic material needs of people um, and toward war instead, uh, then you know you 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 begin to understand much clearer why we have these austerity uh, policies on a local level. You begin to understand the direct impact between uh, militarism and the uh, the shifting of public resources toward militarism uh, um, on the national level and the inability to address those basic material human needs that people have on the local level. So that connection has to be made. Uh, we can no longer afford uh, to engage in, in activism, uh, and to engage in politics, in, in which those connections aren't being made, because if, if we don't, then we'll find ourselves not just spinning our wheels, but um, uh, inadvertently uh, supporting uh, policies and supporting governments that are against our interests uh, uh, and also the interests of millions of people around the world. So being, being uh, good citizens, as you will, good, good global citizens, being uh, morally uh, accountable, uh, requires that we go beyond the kind of, of U.S. centrism that we have seen emerge here in this country over the last uh, decade or so. We are global citizens, and we have global uh, responsibilities and, and global accountability. We are speaking with Ajamu Baraka, who's the national organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace. Ajamu, at that, that conference we were at recently, uh, Glenn Ford made a couple of points I found interesting. One, that, uh, that during Obama's presidency was the first time that blacks outpolled whites in terms of support for a war uh, in what they tell pollsters. And he noted that the, uh, the whites in the United States who voted for Donald Trump, uh, willing or if not eager uh, to support his racist positions, uh, were not turned away by his 
anti-war rhetoric, uh, false as it may have been, uh, it, it is the problem that, peop that, that war is just not the top of the agenda for anyone and things like party and race and other policies outweigh it? Well, you know, I think that uh, the point that Glenn was making was that um, that uh, the uh, the public is really prepared for a new kind of politics. That this idea that uh, people are going to automatically support uh, warmongering just doesn't seem to hold up. That when there is uh, a new direction. Uh, even when it's articulated by someone as right-wing as Donald Trump, uh, you see that there that it's, it resonates somewhat. It's just uh, the failure on the part of, of leadership, the failure on the part of progressive leadership to understand uh, where the American people are and to begin to articulate uh, new directions. And one reason why they're unable to do that, uh, that, that is those, those, those leaders who are connected to the Democratic Party, is because of the internal corruption of that party and their uh, 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 embracing the agenda uh, and the perspectives of some very powerful elements of the oligarchy that find it very profitable to uh, to engage in the war business. So the, the 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 people I think are prepared for a new direction. The problem we have, of course, is that uh, they're not being provided the leadership. Um, and that uh, because of this constant drumbeat toward war that they are exposed to uh, from the corporate press, um, those numbers of people who are really exhausted and really open to more uh, anti-war and pro-peace positions, uh, those numbers aren't as great as I think they could be if we had a different kind of political environment, different kind of leadership. I mean, even with some of the most progressive leaders, uh, people like Bernie Sanders, who have you know you know very uh, progressive positions in terms of domestic policies, uh, but still uh, uh, find it very difficult to uh, go the next step, uh, like uh, 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 like uh, you know folks in the UK, uh, to say, look, we also are going to question and oppose uh, those policies that are perpetuating uh, war and violence uh, from our own state. Yeah, I looked at the. I think there have been three special elections for Congress since the the Trump uh, Hillary Clinton election, and and the Republicans have won all three in I think Georgia and Montana and Kansas, and I looked at those three Republicans websites, and they're all they've all got pro military, pro war, anti immigrant, pro Israel, uh, you know, positions spelled out on their websites, and I looked at the three Democrats who lost at their website. And there's nothing. There's just like foreign policy just doesn't exist. It's it's the yeah. you know sixty percent of their the job, but they just have no position on it whatsoever. Is that, I mean, is that something you can point out to Democrats and they'll fix it, or is it you know what what drives that? Well, I don't think they're going to fix it because right now it's in their, in their they perceive it to be in their interest not to not to comment. <laughs> But they lose. But they lose every policy. time. <laughs> they do, and they, they seem not to be learning any lessons from that, including progressive folks who caucus with the Democratic Party, like Bernie Sanders. Uh, that that people are ready for a, a stronger uh, uh, pro peace position. That people are tired of of the violence that has, has consumed uh, our lives and consumed the, the lives of of, of of people around the world. 
Um, but they just don't seem to, to see that yet. And that's why I think this moment is really so uh, uh, pregnant with possibilities in terms of rebuilding the anti-war position, that there are numbers of people that are prepared to uh, at least examine the possibility of new, new relationships with various cities, I mean, various uh, regimes, that so they are open to the idea that we can use diplomacy to address some of these issues that uh, the, 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 the oligarchy and their leaders are suggesting can only be resolved uh, by violence and war. Uh, it's just a matter of us articulating those positions in a very clear, in a clear way. We we shouldn't expect uh, that to come from the Democrat Party as it, it is presently constituted. Now there are some elements that can in fact raise those issues, but within the Democratic Party, but they're not even doing it. Even you know the the the, the insurgents within the within the Democrat Party. So you know it's going to take a third force, if you will, uh, a, a revived anti-war movement to. Uh, build the kind of popular support to galvanize those elements of the population that are are sick and tired of war, uh, to put pressure on their representatives to take more forthright, uh, clear uh, moral positions against uh, the insanity of of U.S. policies as it stands today. Yeah, it, uh, looking through your incredible uh, biography, Jamu, I, I see you know reference time and again to trying to hold the United States to international standards on on human rights. Um, how how would we do that on war and peace, and what would it look like for the world to hold? the United States to the rule of law in, in that area. I mean, you've worked to abolish the death penalty. Should be, we be working to abolish war as a, as a criminal enterprise? And, and, and how can I, we... I think that... Yeah, go ahead. I think that, that would be an agenda uh, for, for... I think that, that would be the centerpiece of a, uh, an agenda of individuals, movements, that are concerned with the advancement of the collective humanity, that this scourge of war has to be front and center uh, for, uh, for abolition. Uh, so the, the way that looks in the U.S. right now is for us to demand, at minimum, uh, that U.S. Um, decision-makers are governed by the rule of international law, as flawed as that might be. But there are structures and standards coming out of the U.N. process that the, the U.S. has decided that it's going to completely ignore. The very fact that we have a U.S. presence in Syria, for example, uh, is in, in, in contradiction to, to all international norms and standards. Uh, the very fact that the U.S. can engage in uh, unilateral military operations uh, even though they may justify it in terms of some kind of, uh, of moral position. Uh, the fact that they are engaging in these uh, activities outside of the framework of the Security Council, uh, these are all uh, violations of, of standard uh, uh, international norms and, and, and laws. So at minimum, you know, we should demand that the U.S. Uh, adhere to the the structures and the and the uh, legal framework uh, that uh, they helped to put in place, uh, put in place as a consequence of pressure coming from the public, of course. But this is the standard that we have to demand of all nations. It has to be one standard for all nations. So that's the first uh, place, first point. The second point is 
you know, we have to have a, a, a continued uh, conversation around what kind of society and what kind of people do we want to be? Uh, are we going to continue to allow uh, almost, if you if you look at the proposals from the Trump administration to increase the uh, military budget by uh, more than $50 billion, $54 billion uh, to be exact, uh, the, the question becomes, you know, are we going to use almost 60% of all of our discretionary resources, budget, re- budget, uh, for uh, pursuing, uh, you know, uh, war and, 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 and violence. Uh, so, you know, I think that we're able to engage the people. I think that, you know, we could, we could make some inroads in terms of the, the uh, lack of, of, of opposition to these kinds of proposals. And that's why, uh, for the Black Alliance for Peace, one of our most immediate uh, areas of work is to, in fact, uh, oppose the, the budget proposals by Donald Trump. So these, these two points, I think, are, are critical, that there, there's a, a, a anti-war, a latent anti-war position uh, that we can organize, uh, and that, uh, secondly, I think that we can organize that, that anti-war position uh, by helping to focus uh, people's attention on the squandering of resources uh, that are being proposed by this proposal uh, from Donald Trump to increase military spending, and by looking critically at the entire military budget and proposing, like uh, the Green Party and like uh, the uh, Moving for Black Lives Matter, they said that we should, as a beginning point, reduce military expenditures by 50% and transfer those resources to addressing the, the social and material needs of, of people here in this country. I, I couldn't agree more. And there's some groups that have been pushing for these city resolutions and the Conference of Mayors that are now going to start pushing state legislators uh, to make the same demand of Congress. Um, and I'll, I'll email you later in case you want to uh, collaborate on that. But uh, it, 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 this, this legal question uh, keeps bugging me. That I, I think if another nation were to attack some other state, uh, we wouldn't have human rights groups pointing out particular atrocities. We would have the whole thing denounced as a crime, as an act of aggression, as a violation of the UN Charter. I, I mean, none of these half dozen wars the U.S. is now in are legal under the UN Charter or under the Kellogg-Briand Pact, are they? Well, they, they really aren't. And one of the reasons why we haven't had uh, more outcry from from the public and from from even from various human human rights organizations is that you know the way these wars have been framed, uh, it, it, it the human rights community helped to provide the tool that uh, the U.S. and others have used to justify uh, war and intervention, and that is this notion of humanitarian intervention. Yeah, and from that, this responsibility to protect both in the abstract, uh, are, are really marvelous concepts. But the way they have been implied, have been uh, uh, used uh, concretely, yeah. they have been used in the interest of, of power, of perpetuating dominance. Uh, and therefore, uh, the, the human rights organizations have found themselves sort of in a, uh, have painted themselves into almost like an ideological corner. Uh, I mean, when you, when the states, when the U.S. and others are, are using this notion of the responsibility to protect 
uh, against these dictators and this and that, uh, it becomes very difficult for some of these groups to to take a principled uh, opposition uh, on those questions. What they then reduce to is looking at some of the technical um, uh, implementation issues around uh, disproportionate force and those kinds of, of, of technical issues. But the larger moral issue, uh, they, they have undermined themselves by, in fact, providing these kind of tools for these, uh, these dominant forces to justify their, their aggression. Yeah, very very well said. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I want to ask you about a point on the, the Black Alliance for Peace website that I may disagree with, um, and I ask this uh, respectfully and, and wanting to wanting to learn, but there's a state, there's a principles of unity, I think, and the very first yeah. sentence is, Black Alliance for Peace is not a pacifist movement. I'm, I'm wondering what you are supporting in in rejecting pacifism well you know that that's actually uh, in, in, interesting that you raise that because we've we're having some conversations with some of our our allies and friends around what in fact we are trying to get at there and what how that might be read now the the original intent of that was that uh, that groups that may affiliate with this alliance are not going to have to commit themselves to a position, a, 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 a popular understanding of what pacifism is supposed to be. Uh, that uh, there are uh, people that are, are oppressed uh, who may utilize various forms of resistance that uh, may not be completely identified uh, and associated with, with, with the uh, principles of nonviolence or pacifism. Uh, and that uh, as a alliance, we uh, need to to come to some kind of conclusion as to how we relate to that, uh, and whether or not that's going to be something that will be uh, uh, activities or, or or positions that uh, might not be in alignment with, with our principles. So, this is a, a point that we've had to continue to discuss uh, and debate, uh, but it just was put in place there to uh, provide an opportunity for folks who may not have the same positional issues of, of pacifism or whatever to be a part of that of that conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's very tricky because I don't want to tell people my government is attacking how they should or shouldn't resist it. Uh, but uh, yeah. you know, I want to focus on telling my government to stop it. Uh, but exactly. if you're but if you're supporting war and you're making arguments for war by others, you know, it tends to support the idea in the minds of people in the United States that there are arguments for war. And there's millions of Americans who think war is a necessary defensive uh, tool that they, you know, that they see logical grounds for supporting. And it's hard for me to strip those away while supporting the idea that, that war is good for other people. You know, it's... it's uh... Well, you know, David, that's, that's a very important uh, uh... Um, discussion because I think for 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 like for for myself uh, I think that the notion of of states involving themselves in any type of aggressive war is is really uh, an anachronism that they should be eliminated uh, but there are in fact situations where there are people who are oppressed uh, who 
uh, may, for whatever reasons, feel compelled to engage in activities that you and I may not uh, will wish that they didn't have to engage in, but that they feel compelled to, in fact, engage in uh, a resistance that has a military component. I don't feel morally... Uh, in a position to be able to tell uh, any oppressed people that uh, they they cannot utilize whatever tools they believe are available to, uh, in fact, uh, uh, change their their conditions. Now, I think it's important for some people to take a absolute position on that. I think that kind of moral uh, position, I think, is is legitimate and needs to be articulated. But you know, for myself, uh, it, you know, I couldn't really. Uh, take that position. I mean, I want to, at, at, at every point, try to avoid conflict and avoid violence. I mean, no sane person really wants to engage in that. I mean, even people who are oppressed. But uh, I think it'd be very difficult for me morally to uh, suggest to to people that uh, there there are not conditions that exist that uh, uh, you know might justify in their minds. Uh, them having to engage in uh, a very uh, uh, in, in forms of resistance that we might not uh, completely agree with. Yeah, very good. Uh, I, I think people should go and read the the website at blackallianceforpeace.com. Uh, there's a there's a great uh, list of of short term and and longer term goals there as well, uh, including opposing Trump's budget, uh, the war in Syria, the war in Yemen, militarization of police. Uh, uh, working uh, with black movements in Colombia, um, how are how are you going to go about working on all these these different areas? What kind of organization are you are you building here? Well, you you see that we have uh, short short term, immediate, and longer term um, uh, uh, sort of programmatic uh, uh, goals. Yeah. The short term, we are focused really on just a few areas that I think are of immediate importance. Uh, one, of course, is uh, opposing the, the continued slaughter in, in Yemen uh, by the Saudis with the full support uh, of the U.S., we think that is absolutely critical. We have a humanitarian crisis that, you know, people are really not speaking to. And we, we've, as, as black folks uh, and, 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 and human beings, uh, human rights defenders, we feel compelled to, uh, to comment on that and to oppose it. Uh, the, the expanded uh, um, presence of the U.S. in Syria, uh, and the dangerous situation in that country that could lead to to a uh, confrontation with with Russia and who knows what goes what happens from that. I think we we are uh, politically and morally compelled uh, to work on that uh, on that right now because it's 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 really the one of the major threats. Yeah, you know the 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 uh, you know we we have a responsibility to connect up the anti-war position uh, with what is happening domestically and this. This, this continuation of militarizing the police forces uh, through this 1033 program, uh, and again, is another sort of immediate uh, task that we have to, uh, to take up. So, you know, these, these, these few things right there are, and then, of course, you know, the budget. I mean, yeah. Those four items are the things that we think we have to take up right now, and we're not going to uh, try to, to overly extend ourselves as we build this, this alliance. Uh, with, with, you know, working on all of the myriad uh, issues we could be working on. We want to keep the focus on these, these few items. We believe that uh, this, this, this notion of expanding the military budget 
and the dependency on militarism by the oligarchy provides a political opportunity for us to really uh, raise these issues and to uh, to, to put a stop to some of this activity. So well, I, we're going to build an alliance, and, and we, 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 we think that we're going to focus on these four areas as the foundation for building that alliance. I think it's the right agenda. If there's any ways I can help with it, let me know. I wish we could go another hour, but the clock has, has run out on us. Ajamu Baraka, you can check out uh, his website online and blackallianceforpeace.com. Thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.